You're listening to Family Feud, part of the Paris Style Podcast family. They might not be brother and sister, but they sure do fight like they are. Here's your hosts, Keely Yor and Shotgun Spratling. Welcome to another episode of the Family Feud Podcast. I'm your host, Keely Yor, joined alongside Shotgun Spratling. We're actually in physically the same room this time, which is good. I'm glad you're back in, in California, Shotgun. How are you doing? I made it. I made it back. Uh, so I went to Savannah this weekend and gained six pounds in three days. So <laughs> that's how good the food was. That's how good of a time I had in Savannah. That's when you know it's a good trip. Yeah. The, the pounds tell you. So that's why we're not on our normal podcasting schedule. That's why we're coming to you on a Sunday. All full disclosure. That's why. Uh, but we're back. We're going to be talking Arizona. And the bye week, USC is coming off the tail end of their bye week. Everyone feels a little bit more refreshed and rested, which is always nice. Rest is a good thing. Uh, but as a reminder, you guys can subscribe to us on iTunes, Google Play, and Audio Boom. You can also email us questions or submissions to our podcast at familyfeudpod at gmail.com. Thanks to everyone who emails us, especially the spammers. They're they're relentless, Shotgun. Oh my goodness. They're just, they're just coming in all angles. All, <laughs> all angles from all countries. Um, we're coming off the... Arizona game. We've already had our 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 fallout from it on the live shows. We haven't discussed it on this podcast yet, but we are a week or so away from it. So I don't know how much we're going to dip into it. But general thoughts. What were your thoughts about the Arizona game? You got to win. That's good. Uh, the way you won was not good. There was you know no one came away happy from it. On the you know you talked to the players, no one were like, well, we got the win. At least that's good. No, they were like, we we got the win, but I don't feel good about it afterwards. So, yeah. So I think that was kind of the feeling of the team the fans obviously didn't even feel that good about it you know they weren't even well we got to win they were just why can't we win by more and freaking out and everything um usc's offense in the second half just was not the same they did not we were, were not able to pick up the third and twos the third and ones and because of that they didn't keep the ball and you know then arizona's offense got going a little bit and it turned things and arizona was able to capitalize on the usc's turnovers in the second half the fact that usc turned the ball over as many times as they did and still got out with the win is a positive um you know if they take care better care of the ball even you know with the momentum that arizona got only one of their scores came on a full drive everything else was short field you know either off of turnover or off of turnover on downs so if USC can take care of the ball better, they win that game easily by 17 points. That's still probably not an exciting win, but it's not dramatic. Everybody freaking out about it. And also the one thing that uh, you should give credit to is the way the defense played in the second half. Even though they gave up points, I thought they played really well. Uh, you know, they just were not put in good situations. Yeah, I don't think that you can blame this the second half demise on the defense at all. Um, but as far as the game went as a whole, I think it was another case of. The first half showed what this team can be, and the second half showed where they're at currently, maybe mentally. I mean, you talked about certain situations. How much of that is just we didn't execute here versus they took their foot off the gas, and this wasn't a a full four-quarter effort? I I think it is. they don't have that killer mindset. They don't have someone to, you know, if you're up 17 points or you're up, what was it, I think it was 24 nothing when – Arizona scored, made it 24-7, and it was a good drive by Arizona. No one on the sideline was like, oh, we got to stop now. We can't let that happen again. Like, There's no one like up in arms about someone doing something small. And you know, sometimes those things are like, come on, just calm down. Like, You don't need that. Uh, you're overreacting to things. But USC needs someone to do that. They don't have anyone to do that. Like You, you saw on the sideline, like, 
coaches are after a touchdown. Coaches are patting guys on the back. Okay, good job. You know, uh, you know, you did okay on your position, but like, no one should be patted on the back after. You know, it, you you don't need to tell people to heads up when it's twenty four seven. Keep your head up. You know, let's go. No, and you know the there wasn't like someone really motivating them on the sideline. There was no one rallying the team or anything. It was very a lackadaisical uh, on the sideline. It just felt like okay, well, we're up twenty four nothing on Arizona. They're not coming back on us, and it was just kind of okay. Well, walk in the park. It's JV type of time. You know, it's kind of the feeling it felt on the sideline. Because yeah. when you yeah. get up, you get up real big on you know Wyoming or whoever it is, UNLV. You know, late in the game. When all the when all the second string guys and the young guys get opportunity, like it feels like okay, it's JV time. The the, the veterans are kind of hanging out on the sideline, just like chumming it up with each other. That's kind of the feel that it had on the sideline, and that's something that this USC team probably should never have because yeah. of the way they have underperformed. And until you put fifty a fifty burger or you put sixty or seventy on someone, like then no, you shouldn't act that way. But this team, I, I guess they feel like they can rest on their laurels when they're up 24 points. And 24 points is nothing in the age of the spread offenses and how quickly teams can strike. Uh, so I think that that's an issue with this team, that they don't have maybe that veteran leader to come and be like, why are you Why are you laughing? Why are you joking on the sideline? We're only up 24-7. And they're still... You know, there's still 20, 25 minutes left in the game. Like this game could quickly change. And you saw in the fourth quarter when Arizona did get didn't get opportunities, the game did change really quickly. So they get the fumble on JT Daniels on a sack on a sack fumble on third down, and immediately the next play touchdown. So suddenly it's a ten point game, and like even though it felt like wow, this is a thirty or forty point blowout, it's a ten point game suddenly. Yeah. And you're like, wait, how how is it a ten point game? Okay, it's not a big deal. It's not a yes, it was a big deal because then Arizona scores again, and now. It's a you know it's a, a three point or a four point game uh, after they mix an extra point. Um, so you know I just don't know. There's just no killer instinct in this team, and I don't know that they have the veteran leaders that are going to be willing to step up and say yeah, this isn't acceptable. Someone needs to you know some grab somebody by the face mask and throw them around on the sideline or whatever it needs to be. I just don't think they have that. Where does this stem from? Because I don't think this is just a specific this year's team type of deal. I think we saw this. Last year, we saw this in the Colorado game where they kind of took their foot off the gas. Uh, maybe the Arizona game last year, too. But it seems like it's part culture, part coaching. Where where do you think this stems from? Well, the, the culture stems from the coaches to begin with. I mean, it, it's kind of the – if there's not someone that is going to get in people's spaces. And Clay Helton, to his credit, is a guy like, we got to get it – like, he is very um, – He's, he gets very agitated on the sideline. He gets very you know emotional at times during the game. And, and uh, but I don't feel like that the entire staff has that same mentality. Maybe uh, so. There's certain guys that are just okay. Well, I'm going to coach up this my position. I'm going to coach up you know the technique and stuff that's going on. There's not you know there's not guys that are very emotional on the sideline. It, it's very you know an even kill, and that can be good for certain teams if you have those emotional leaders as a team, then you don't need the coaches to be in yelling at people's faces. You don't need that. You need guys that are, okay, let's calm it down. Let's, you know, let's keep it even kill. But I just don't think that there's a good balance. And maybe if you're, if you're the coaching staff, maybe you have to realize that and you have to recruit some of those guys that are a little more headstrong themselves that you think will eventually become leaders on the team. Uh, and, and that's, you know, that's hard to do because it's three or four years out that you're trying to prepare for and the coaching staff's changed and all those different things. So yeah, I, I think it, it starts with the, this coaching staff though. Definitely starts with them. Yeah, I agree. As far as, I don't think USC's offense went into the second half trying to turn over the ball as much as they did. 
But what? It, Someone didn't decide, like, I just want to turn the ball over and see what we, happens. We just want to make this a close game. But my thought process is, for example, the Josh Follow fumble. Josh Follow is going for a second effort. A defender tries and rip the balls, tries to rip the ball out of his hands and ultimately is successful. How many times do we see Josh Follow that type of effort happen against Josh Follow in practice? How many times do we see scout team guys giving the offense good looks like that? I, it, how much of this is also practice where you're just not prepared? You're not penalties. You're not prepared to do things in game-like situations on a regular basis. Yeah, I mean, it definitely, I think, has something to do with it because if you don't have the physicality in practice, it's not just, okay, being stronger than someone else. It's being prepared for every hit from every direction, being all those different things where if it's, it's thud, it's okay, the guy's going to hit me, and then I'm going to bounce free, and it plays over. Whereas a guy hits you, and then the next guy tries to rip the ball out, those type of things, you don't see. I mean, it's partly preparation. And maybe a guy like Josh Fowler, who was out for a period of training camp, when those things do happen more often, you know, maybe he needs that. Maybe that's why you got to sprinkle in that that extra padded practice every once in a while to, you know, for an extra guy to, you know, a guy that moves up the depth chart. And, you know, he was third, Talano Hafungo, who's third string or fourth string in the uh, fall yeah. camp. And now he's starting. Well, maybe he needs a little bit different look than he got in fall camp. So, you know, by sprinkling in an extra thing, maybe that's, that's a, you know, something that could, could help alleviate that problem. Uh, so I, I think it, it stems from that. There's all, there's a lot of, well, that's probably a little bit of a factor, and that's probably a little bit of a factor, and that's probably a little bit of a factor, and then I think you add all those up, and that is the culture of the team. Yeah. So, so you're, you're not saying there's the one issue? You can't just fire all the coaches and everything will be better? I mean, if you <laughs> did that, then maybe you, you change the entire culture, but then maybe, again, you don't, because maybe this is the same thing we've seen from, you know, the, the what what they call the Pat Hayden and the, and the you know, the... The country club atmosphere that was in, you know, that's in the administration above them, and maybe the, now that there's a, when a new president comes in, maybe that changes, and maybe that sprinkles down. I mean, it, it's hard to say pinpoint one little thing and say, yeah, that'll fix it. Yeah. Without you know completely like you know firing, torching everything, and burn, burn it all down, <laughs> and then you know build it back up, that type of thing. Uh, so I, I think without doing that, it's hard to say that one thing will will fix everything one one coaching change or one firing uh, of the staff would change something i think there's a lot of little things that aren't being done correctly yeah i completely agree one last thing before we get into it. i know this is a very long inter- interlude but it's a bye week we can change things up uh, <laughs> speaking of the bye week how did you uh, evaluate usc's bye week practices this week i know in the media schedule we got uh, informed that there were only two practices Tuesday and Wednesday. And that seemed, I think Clay Helton heard a little bit of the chatter outside about, oh, two practices in the bye week, blah, blah, blah. So it was interesting how on Tuesday uh, he greeted us with, happy Tuesday, uh, our second practice of the week. So he made sure to, to be like, hey, we practice on Monday, practice Tuesday, Wednesday, and we're having a, a special extra conditioning session on Thursday. So I think he was a little bit aware of the criticism that was coming. How did you evaluate uh, bi-week practices as a whole? A little bit tweaked by that. And that's also the coaches hearing things. And, and you know, was that good for the program if the coaches are paying attention to what other people are saying? Uh, and maybe it, maybe it gets brought up because someone brings the two of them that's higher above them and says, you know, we need to make sure that we let people know that we're practicing more than this. They always have a Monday practice. It's closed to the media. You know, they never really advertise that they're having a Monday practice. Uh, so how much they're actually doing there. But those are like, those are t-shirt and short days. Yeah. So is that, a, I mean, how much do you consider that a practice? Yeah. Helton said it was extended. 
Like they did more than they normally do. They were still in t-shirts and shorts. Yeah. So how much can you really get? They were in shells, so it's not like you're thumping and suddenly. He called them spiders, <laughs> which I think is like an extra like baby pad on their shoulders. Oh, uh, the the I, I think yeah. I know what I'm talking. Yeah. He's talking about the little baby. Yeah. Baby pads. Like they, they have, have the little octagons on them. Yeah, you're not hitting somebody with those. You're not going. <laughs> All right, well, let's line up and do the Oklahoma drill with that. Like, <laughs> if no. you're adventurous, you could. <laughs> And that's how you get players hurt, and yeah. then and maybe that's why you had twenty six players out on Wednesday. Womp womp. Twenty six players did not practice on Wednesday. Well, twenty five didn't practice. One of them left practice with an injury. So I know there's a lot of concerns. Like, how do you get better during the bye week versus how do you get healthier during the bye week? And how banged up is USC? We saw this similar in the you know the week before was it mock game week or the week before mock game week where there was like there was a ton of people out. Yeah. And when I commented on it. You know, a lot of people were upset about it uh, on, you know, either upset about how many people were out and saying they didn't practice enough, but they were healthy going into the season. They were really healthy going into the season. They had yeah. very few injuries. There was a couple guys that missed the first game. But other than that, you know, they were they had, had some bangs and bruises in training camp and came out really healthy. So if they do the same thing and they're healthy for what Clay Helton called what he hopes is eight, eight straight weeks of football, you know, if they make it to the Pac-12 championship, then – then that's good for them. But where I mean, it's it's a hard line to kind of you know to kind of straddle is is how do you get better while also getting healthier? Yeah. And I think at the direction the team was going leading into the bye week should have had maybe more of an impact on it. Maybe you say some of the guys, all right, we're going to go really hard on even if it's Monday. I mean Monday or Tuesday, and say, okay, you got we're going to go really hard on Tuesday. We're going to go full pads. We're going to go out. Everyone's practicing. If you have a bang, a, a little banger bruise, you're still practicing. You practice through it, and then we'll shut you down. Maybe even until next Wednesday, and you you give those guys that opportunity to get healthy. But I feel like there were there needed to be something changed up in, in the way that they practice to p- potentially get them better going through the bye week. How much do you you know, how much do you weigh being healthier versus getting better during the bye week and how do you kind of implement that? And I think that's what they were trying to figure out and I think they maybe went a little bit too too decided too much with getting healthier rather than trying to get better. Yeah, I asked Marvel tell what is your opinion on physicality in the bye week? And he said the priority for the starters is getting healthy. Um, he said we might go shorter, but the intensity should still be there. And USC did go shorter. Uh, I think Tuesday's practice was like 20 minutes shorter. And then Wednesday's was like 30, 40 minutes shorter. It was definitely significantly shorter. Um, so I think, yes, I guess the priority should be going, uh, getting healthy. But you saw, I don't know. I, I get very wishy-washy on this because I'm not a player, but at the same time, I see the deficiencies that USC has and that they need to fix. And one of the things that was a little bit of a question mark for me was JT Daniels resting his arm. I understand that he's been throwing for a while, but like we had Max Brown on the live show on Thursday and he, he even raised an eyebrow. I was like, I can understand maybe coming out of fall camp where you're throwing every day and throwing multiple times that you need to rest your shoulder, but he, he's not throwing on Fridays. He's not throwing on Sundays, not necessarily throwing on Mondays. So is resting the shoulder really, I, I don't know, resting the arm really necessary? I don't know. Versus what's more necessary, resting the arm or maybe getting a connection with Pittman? Or, you know, what? what's the priority here? I don't know how to balance that, but it did raise an eyebrow for me. Yeah, and that one makes me wonder if there might be something a little bit more to the shoulder injury. Me too. I mean, than the shoulder, that it might be an injury rather than just being a little bit tiredness. Yeah. Uh, so that could be a concern, and, you know, that's something we'll be watching for as we go through the rest of the season to see if there's anything that maybe indicates that, you know, his arm's not right. You Because know, 
the thing is when you are throwing and someone tries to hit your arm and you start your motion, that can be very dangerous for the shoulder itself just because the shoulder is, I mean, throwing a baseball, throwing a football is not a natural motion of the arm anyways. So when you put tension on it, when you do that at the same time, then I think it becomes, uh, you know, it can be very dangerous for the shoulder. And in one of those throws where, and he's been banged up and he's been hit from behind and stuff like that, that, you know, it could be, you know, it could cause a slight tear or whatever it may be in the shoulder. And that's something you're trying to rest over those two weeks rather than, you know, it just being, oh, well, his shoulder's tired because he's thrown a lot and he doesn't throw this much in the past. So I think that, you know, that could be more of a concern there, which is what it raises my eyebrow that, hey, maybe there is something more going on there. Uh, Like Marvell said, the bye week is usually, usually, Starters, you're not going to do much. You're getting healthy. We want to make sure that Cam Smith is ready to go for this last stretch. You know, you, you want to make sure that the rest of the guys are ready to go. Um, but when your team is not playing well going into it, I think that you have to figure out a way to try to work on getting better as well at the same time. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, as far as JT Daniels go, I did ask him after the Arizona game because he was seen by trainers his health status, and he said he just had a calf cramp. So not so sure about that. We can start uh, injury gate again. What was it last year? Tumor rumor for, for Sam Darnold? Oh, yeah. Tumor rumor. Hashtag <laughs> but yeah. tumor rumor. But the, the eyebrows are raised as far as that goes. Uh, this was a pretty long uh, impromptu opening, but I felt like we needed to address a couple things. But shall we get in the stock up, stock down? Yeah, let's talk a little bit about the game. I mean, we talked mostly about where they are going forward so far. We're gonna get, we'll go into the game a minute, then we'll talk about the first half kind of the season you know. yeah we have a special segment uh for the bye week called bye week best Ooh. and we'll be picking out some of the the best of the, of so far the season but let's go from you know stock up stock down i'm gonna start with akasajic where obviously stock up I, i'm yeah. sure you have him on there as well you know and his career against arizona like i think that that someone should put some kind of like special uh, contact in his eye before every game that just like that blinds him of knowing the team that he's playing and just makes it Arizona uniform he's somehow. Like, whisper, it's Arizona. Go, go. Yes, yeah, so there's got to be some special contact that like turns every uniform into Arizona. A face mask. Yeah, like- <laughs> yeah, special face mask. I like it. All this virtual reality. That's got to be able. To, someone's got to sure. be able to come up with that. Sure. So make that happen because he just destroys Arizona every game. I mean, Marvell Tell saying after uh, in the the press game conference, you know. He uh, Alcacetra where was asked, you know, what is it about Arizona? He's he just don't like him. Yeah, <laughs> I like how Marvel just like interrupted. Like he he just don't like him. <laughs> yeah, no, but, but I thought he was terrific. Uh, you know the big run that's something that USC's been missing. You know that explosive run. They've got a couple of longer runs, but they haven't got a, the long touchdown run. They've been missing that. And and part of the reason why I got that long touchdown run is actually my second stock up. I'm a dual threat it here Ooh. was Valus Jones. Yeah, uh, that was good because Valus Jones. Terrific block on the outside. I talked to Valus this past week, and he said, you know, he takes a lot of pride in his blocking because that's one thing that gets him on the field. You know, as a slot receiver, especially in that grouping with him, Trayvon Sidney and Amon Ra, uh, St. Brown splitting between inside and outside, is that you've got to block to get on the field because it, you're not always going to get the ball thrown to you. you the, the primary targets are often outside with Tyler Vaughns and Michael Pittman. So when you get an opportunity, blocking helps you get extra reps. So he actually got more reps this game than he has, you know, in his career. This wow. is his career 
career high as far as reps. You know, he actually played more than Amon St. Uh, Amon Ross St. Brown for the first time this season. Played more reps than him. So his stock definitely went up. You know, he only had two catches. I think it was 22 yards or something. One of them was a crucial catch on the, their first scoring drive, third and 10. He makes a catch on a ball that was behind him. And you know, we broke it down in the film study. It was a really nice catch catching the ball that, that JT Daniels, you know, fit through the defense. But he catches the ball behind him, juggles a little bit, almost gets in. <laughs> almost. He was so close. Because he's still looking for that first career touchdown. He's just a yard short on that one. But only a couple catches, but I thought his stock is definitely moving up. The way that the coaches played him more and the way that he's he's blocking and also making tough catches, which is something that he hasn't necessarily done in the past. That was kind of the knock on him is that, yeah, he can probably catch the easy ones. He can get behind defenses, but if he's got to make a tough catch, he may not come down with it. I thought that showed a lot, making a catch not only behind him, but also in traffic. That's just that's a really tough catch, and he came down with it. Uh, and I think that that's only going to give JT Day Daniels a little bit more confidence with him as they progress this season. For sure. And I'm glad to see Velas getting more uh, work because he seemed like one of those guys who was kind of floating in the depth chart over the course of his career so far where you didn't know if he was actually going to be utilized or break out. So I'm glad that he's actually finding some time on the field. But as a take on your Akacedric Ware stock up, I had stock up on USC's three-headed monster, a.k.a. the three running backs. And I say that because after the Washington State game, I thought, okay, maybe this is the time where... You kind of see guys spread out a little bit. You see Akasajic Ware kind of move to the back of the depth chart. Maybe you just see more of Avai Malapai and Stephen Carr going forward. Maybe, you know, people had their doubts about Akasajic Ware. And then I think this kind of reemerged that, hey, any given game, you might see one guy break out more than the other. So I think stock up on USC's for now. Maybe this might change because, like we said, said is the Arizona State Wildcat or Arizona Wildcat killer. So maybe that will change. But... At least you can see that rotation of those three, that three-headed monster. Uh, the stock is up. And then basically looking at how many plays they played, it basically reverted back to what it was the first couple games. So Akasetrick Ware ended up playing 30 uh, offensive snaps in this game. You know, the first three weeks he played, I think, 91 or something. So basically 30 every game. Then last week he only played the four snaps, or the, the game previous to that he only played four snaps. So that was obviously a big, you know, what's going on there? Was it the injury? Was it what he said? Uh, whereas Stephen Carr has basically been between 21 and 28 offensive snaps every game. I know some people want that to go more, be, you know, possibly push up, and that's a possibility. Uh, I thought Stephen Carr at times, you know, is they're not fully using him as the pass catching option that he can be. Yeah. He's also every once in a while I've seen like maybe one run a game or two runs where I noticed there, where there might be a hole somewhere else and he tries to go a different direction. Uh, so I, I think that there's a balance there. And then Vavai Malapai, you know, he went his numbers really boosted last game against Washington State. He played 33 snaps after you know playing between 15 and 20, 24 uh, the first three games. His number went back to 19. So he played 19 the week before the Washington State. He played 19. The week after so I think that was just a product of said not getting opportunities so he goes back so it looks like they've reverted back to basically where they were before the Texas game I guess um, so before the knee injury for I mean for Alcacedric Ware and whether it was the knee or you know something else so I, I think you'll go back to seeing where it's pretty balanced where Alcacedric Ware is actually the lead back with Stephen Carr and, and, and Vi kind of splitting so we'll see how that you know, that's going to adapt. And as the season goes, based on health, for one, because uh, running backs, there's always going to be an injury with running backs. And then, you know, how, how players are doing. I thought Vi was terrific in this game. He didn't have great numbers, I don't think, but 
I mean, the runs that he had, you know, shaking off tacklers, I mean, it was ridiculous him going through like seven defenders on that one play. To set up the touchdown. And that, that it, it made it uh, fourth and ten where you probably had to go for the field goal. Now you're like, hey, fourth and two, we can probably go for it. And that sets up the said touchdown. So that's an unsung play right there that I should get credited for. Um, as far as Stephen Carr goes, do you think he's 100% healthy? I know when we're watching film, it's like uh, maybe last year he makes that or he, he gets a, a touchdown for that. I just don't – it doesn't seem like there's the breakaway speed that maybe he had last year. And, and maybe maybe we're just, you know, recency bias where what we're seeing recently, we're putting more stock in. Uh, and, you know, last year he wasn't doing that either because, you know, he had a couple of really good games early in the season and then didn't do much the rest of the year. Uh, so it makes you wonder – you know what exactly it was there and you know maybe he just doesn't have that extra gear to to kind of run away from defenders and he was really close on, on the Washington State game I mean the guy came from a different angle to catch him so you know he had a you know the guy that was closest to him he was running away from so I just don't think that he's actually burst that big one and been able to take it to the house and he's got like I think three or four plays over 50 yards already this season or over 40 yards so you know I, I think that he, he's close but we haven't seen him kind of pull away from a uh, from a defender um like we, we kind of expected him. I mean, Ronald Jones, I remember Ronald Jones when my, my favorite was when he was uh, running for a touchdown in the Rose Bowl and he looked up at the screen. He told me after the game he's never going to look at the screen again because he <laughs> felt like he was slowing down. And uh, Fabian Moreau caught him from behind right at the goal line and he, he fell in. So, you know, it's, it's hard to run away from other great athletes because yeah. not everyone has, you know, legit four two four three speed. That doesn't happen very often. It's not, not everybody's John Ross out there, you know, when you catch a ball and, and if you got a little bit of room, they're gone. I had stuck up on Levi Jones um, in the sense that he was thrown into the second half after John Houston came out on the penultimate play of the first half where he just looked out. I mean, for a heard it or seen it on the sidelines, uh, Isaiah Langley just goes up to him and, and kind of waves in front of his face like, are you are you conscious right now? Like it, he just looked out. Uh, so Levi Jones came in um, and the first couple of plays of the second half, he he made a stop in the backfield. And I thought on rewatch, I didn't really notice Levi make any mistakes or do anything in a negative sense, which when you're thrown in for the first significant playing time of your career, I think that is a successful outing. So I think the more we see from Levi, I think it'll be positive. Let's be honest, you really just wanted to use the word penultimate, didn't you? I like using penultimate whenever I can, but that's not why I put that on there. <laughs> yeah, and John Houston was classified as a stinger. That I, I've never seen anyone look out of it the way he did with a stinger. Stinger yeah. is usually, ow, my shoulder really hurts. I can't lift my arm. Not... I don't know where I am, yes. which is what he looked like when we yes. saw him on the sideline. And, you know, it just seemed like his demeanor changed a little bit when he came back in the second half. Uh, and so that usually is more concussion type syndrome symptoms rather than uh, stinger. But they classified it as stinger. We'll, we'll skip that. I also have Hunter Eccles on the st- stock up yeah. because yeah. Hunter Eccles is, you know, he only played 10 defensive snaps. Which it seemed like he was in there a little bit more than that because he was being sprinkled in in a specific pass rush situation. USC, this is the first time they've used him. He played more snaps. He played more in the UNLV Texas game because those are, you know, a little bit became blowouts towards the end. And also in the Texas game, Porter Gustin was out. But they started using him in a specific pass rush situation. They actually lined him up over the nose uh, or over the center as a nose tackle. And I talked to him and he said, you know, it's a little bit different when you're rushing through the middle because there's uh, guards on both sides and there's a tackle beside, you know, if you're rushing at the guard, there's a tackle there versus having just space on the outside. So he says a little bit different in that regard, but I think they're giving him more, they're having more confidence in him. He is actually, 
USC's trivia question for you here, a trivia answer. He's actually USC's most used special teams player what this is, season. Who is Le- or Hunter Eccles? <laughs> who is Hunter Eccles? Yes, he is uh, averaging, um, I believe it's 20-something uh, snaps per game uh, on the on special teams. He's averaging over 20 snaps a game. So he's playing almost 30 snaps per game, which is, is the second most, actually, of any USC player that's not started this season. Wow. Can you name the first? You just mentioned him, Levi Jones. Oh, so you had a chance. I thought maybe it was fresh off the. No, I think tongue, offensive. So. Yeah, so uh, of of players who have started a game, Levi Jones has played the most total snaps, and then Hunter Eccles is second behind him because both of those guys play a lot of special teams as well. Um, so I got Hunter Eccles. I think that he is starting to uh, creep his way up and get some other opportunities. Clay Helton said that you know he's slippery and said that you know he's going to continue getting opportunities. Uh, I talked to Port Augustine about him a little bit. I'll have a story on him in the next couple of days. Uh, but it, it seems like everyone is talking positive about the work that he's done. And with him rushing inside, you know, doing those nose tackle from that nose tackle position shows that this is something he probably couldn't have done a year ago when he first arrived at USC because he didn't have the body type. He said one of the things, he's like, you either have to be quicker or you have to be stronger than the guy uh, when you're going against the middle of the line because there's not space. You're not beating a guy just with speed, which he can do on the outside. So I think that the way he's transformed his body has helped him a lot, and I think that's why you're starting to see him make an impact now. The best was, I don't know, I don't remember the exact play. I know it was like, maybe it was a screen and he makes a stop and everyone on the sideline just freaks out. And like his head was just getting slapped from every direction. Like they were so excited for Hunter and that was just a, a fun little moment. Yeah, I don't know if it was a swing pass or what, but he lit up the line, the running back that was about to try to catch the ball, which would have been for like a zero yard gain or a two yard loss. Uh, and my favorite was Jordan Iasefa like came up jumping off the, off the sideline and, and like is like, He's pushing him, but he's because he was jumping, he was up above him, and he pushes, and Hunter Eccles just went straight down. And then, yeah. like, everyone's kind of mobbing around him. So I, I think he is a, a, a player that's really liked in the locker room, and I think when you see those type of reactions, that tells you that type. Yeah. That is someone who has been putting the work in, especially. Guys that put in the work in, they're, they're backups, and they start, they start getting more opportunities. Those are the type of reactions you see. And, you know, maybe that's what it takes for USC to kind of break out of its funk sometimes, is to have someone step up and make a play like that. And Though in the grand scheme of things, it's not a big play. That running back wasn't getting anywhere. There's another defender coming. At most, he's getting two yards, and they're they're punting the ball anyways. That was on third down. But because he makes that play rather than Cam Smith, and you know if Cam Smith made it, people would be excited. But I think they were more excited because it's a guy that's making a play for the first time and those type of things. I think maybe that's what USC needs. They need they need guys to contribute throughout the roster, and you know, that's something that maybe hasn't been happening enough uh, for for this team. Um, and I think Hunter Eccles is one of those guys that's starting to starting to do that. That they have had guys throughout the depth chart contribute, though. I don't know. I mean, you you look at like the tackles. Cam Smith is way above anybody else. Yeah, you, but if you look at Talanoa, Talanoa wasn't expecting to be a starter. Well, he, ha- he had to. I mean, back. he gets thrown in. That's what I'm saying. Like that's a that's a contribution. It is a contribution, true. But Levi Jones contribution. Yeah. Amon Ra contribution. Uh, maybe. You got four or five out of the roster. Well, what are you expecting? Elijah Vera Tucker, when he comes in, he for him to make a big impact. For I mean, we've been advocating for him. Yeah, and he played three snaps, and they gained what negative the one yard or whatever. Choose to do it doesn't mean like <laughs> that's not a knock on ABT. Well, I just want more people to make big impacts. <laughs> okay, you heard it here. Shotgun wants that. I want it. I had see it happen. I had stuck up on rest. I think rest is great. <laughs> Part of the reason why I sound like a human is because I actually got to sleep for a little bit this weekend. That's that's always great. Um, I think having time off, 
I think the burnout factor can be real, especially when you're coming off fall camp into a tough September schedule. Um, I saw on Instagram a lot of guys went home this weekend. I think having that ability to to get away from football, clear your mind a little bit, have a perspective, maybe even see some other teams play and see the the quality of 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 other teams playing in the college football realm uh, refreshes you. So I think rest a bye week, especially because with last year, you know what it's like without a bye week. It, it makes a difference. So stuck up. Yeah, definitely. And you talked to the guys last year when they had finally had the, uh, the final week of the regular season off, Yeah, you know, was their bye week before the championship game. It there was count though, but yes, but they were just like, you know, they, they felt like different people because, uh, because of that week off. Uh, I actually had a day off, first day off, and I think like 64 days, uh, and I didn't write anything. I, even on my days off, I usually am writing something, but I, like I put the computer away, went and had a... <laughs> oh, geez, Ryan Abraham just came in and just tried to Made Godzilla. his presence known. Yeah, he just Godzilla the... <laughs> but... But you know, I, I took the day off, so it was you know, and you can feel the the rest. In I mean, we can feel a difference. So you know, when you're not hitting someone, yeah, putting a, a physical effort. Yeah. So I, I think that that's why it's so hard for me to you know figure out the balance of do you want to rest players, do you want to try to get better during the bye week. There's it's such a, a difficult decision to make. I know. That's what I'm saying. I, I don't know how to thread that needle. And do you got anything else to stuck up? I do not. I have like a stock up slash stock neutral. <laughs> no, there's no such thing as stock neutral. There, We're not getting into this again. I, I didn't want to say it, but it's true. But I don't, I think I <laughs> told someone during the game, like, I don't want to put the special teams on stock up. Like, I don't. <laughs> I know that's probably horrible and biased, but I think they've at least made an improvement. And I think that deserves a stock Well, since up. the Texas game, when they were rated by Pro Football Focus as the worst unit uh, special teams unit in the country, yeah, definitely have made an yeah, improvement. Two blocks the last couple weeks. Um, you know they've been returning well. The I think Tyler Vaughn is doing some nice things uh, as a punt returner, even though there's not necessarily the numbers. He's they, situationally aware, which is good. Situational mastery. Yeah, um, no, I didn't say that. That's, that that <laughs> sentence makes me hurl. Um, <laughs> but uh, they also averaged punting, averaged a season high forty three yards. So. Yeah, I mean Reed Budgerich has basically taken over that role again. He's he's uh, you know Chris Tilby has not played the last two weeks, which tells you that Reed Budgerich is playing better. Um, so I, I think that those things are going in the right direction. Michael Brown filling oh, in for Chase McGrath. He's been good. Alex Stathouse been good. He has a sixty five percent touchback percentage. He's been good. Guess what USC's was last season? I don't know. Guess. 36. Oh, 37. Nice job. Oh, so close. <laughs> yeah. So I know it's, we're only five games in, but that's pretty good. Now, let me tell you why there's also stock down. Hence. Because I have stock down. Oh, okay. For getting, I didn't put special teams, but getting the right number of people on the field. Yeah, that's a bad one. <laughs> USC had nine. Now, which, which actually, this would be a really bad, this is really, really stocked down for Arizona's extra point unit. Because USC had nine players on the field on that on that final extra point that sta- that Arizona missed, which flipped the flipped the point spread potentially if you had it at three three and a half, which in Vegas is ridiculous the way they get these. Uh, so could have flipped the, your point spread whether you win or lose that bet. But also more importantly, is it changes it from a field goal game to you need a touchdown now? Now if you get the onside kick. One pass is completed, and all of a sudden you're in field goal range to tie the game. But you missed that extra point. Now you have to, you know, it's going to take three passes to get in the end zone. Uh, it's going to take, you know, you're going to, you have uh, to do a lot more in that minute and a half or whatever they had left. So 
that's a, a huge play there. But USC, that's I think that's the third time this year. I want to say third. I know last year they had four times. They did not have the correct number of players on the field. And by not having the correct number, I mean not they don't not that they get flagged. I mean they got plenty plenty of flags in this game, uh, but not having too many on the field, but having too little. So they had ten earlier in the season, I think, against uh, in their second home game. Maybe watch, I don't remember whichever game it was. I remember seeing it during the game, and I was like, oh, they just had ten players in the field. Maybe it was UNLV, but then they have nine here. They had ten on defense in a game against Texas, but get the right number of people on the field. Now, now, why this happened was because. Isaac Taylor Stewart was injured, so he did not travel. He's been on all these special teams, so he's on the extra point. So Michael Pittman fills in for him. So Michael Pittman, I don't know if he forgot or whatever it is, he's not used to being on this unit. He was not out there. The other person who was not out there was Iman Marshall. Now, the people that were that were not out there that had been on there the previous extra points. So I'm not putting the blame on them. I'm just saying who was previously on the extra point block units. And Iman Marshall gets pulled off the field for the final four plays of that Arizona drive, you know, after he had two pass interference calls, quote, quite pass interference calls, especially the, the, I mean, at least the first one. The second one was a pass interference. But the first one, he intercepts. I don't know where that pass interference was. Yeah. Uh, so he gets pulled off the field because, you know, probably coaches look at him like, you know, you're frustrated right now. They're probably running the ball anyway. We're going to put Greg Johnson in there. Greg Johnson goes in, does perfectly fine for those four plays. So Iman Marshall doesn't go back out there to get onto the extra point unit. So now you have two guys that don't take it. They have nine guys. So what if, you know, what if it was a five point game and Arizona sees that USC's only got nine and they run the ball and they have an advantage, obviously, and they get a two point conversion that turns it into a field goal game or whatever it is. I mean, there's so many things that could have happened that didn't, but you got to get the right number of people on the field. There's got to be somebody that's counting that that says, oh, we don't have the right number. Send somebody out there immediately or whatever it is. Now, the thing is, with an extra point, you usually just let it happen. Teams aren't really counting like, oh, they have nine. Let's go for two real quick. Like, they're just, right, let's kick the extra point. That's usually the case. So with an extra point, you're not, you don't want to waste your time out or whatever you may have. So, so at least the, well, if they're not going to have it, not get the right number on, on the field, at least do it on extra points. So they've done that twice this year. It was just for Vegas. It's like Buffalo Wild Wings where like they had a call <laughs> in and you're like, missed the PAT. <laughs> so, uh, stock down. Yeah, that was a slight transition to stock down. Who oh, yeah, that's, true. that's my stock now. Yeah? Yeah. Oh, okay. So we're conflicting a little bit there. Thus, together, we make stock neutral. <laughs> no, yes. we do not. Gotta hear that baloney. We talked about this in the beginning of the podcast already, so we don't want to go into depth, but just the urgency, the drive, the killer instinct. Start down on that. I It felt like at the end of the game, both teams were trying to lose, like who was trying to lose the fastest. It just was not good. <sighs> it it seems weird where you look at the sideline and it just seems like the fans are sometimes more invested than the players. It's just sometimes the culture on the sideline just is a little off to me. It doesn't make sense. And so I don't know that needs to be improved, whether that's a whole cultural thing. I know it's really hard to change the culture of a team in an uh, environment. So I don't know necessarily the tangibles of how you fix that, but that's something that definitely needs to get changed because if you're playing anyone besides Arizona, you lose that game. True. What else you got? Are you just putting me on the spot? I yeah. also had Pac-12 reps. Stock down. Dang it. Oh, you took mine. I was, well, maybe if you went, I was you thinking about. Said it. I was debating whether I wanted to call it penalties or Pac-12 reps. <laughs> they both were bad. USC's penalties both, were terrible. Yes. Uh, I mean, when you have, what, 18 penalties for... 21, actually, total. 21 total with 100 million yards of penalty yards, it feels like. like <laughs> I mean, you're giving all these yards away, away in the game, and... 
part of it was the, the rest were not great, uh, but a lot of them were like, are just bad errors at the same time. They're, and Clay Helton said he went over it. He said he showed every single penalty to him in a team meeting, which is good. That's what he should do. Uh, he said he addressed it. Um, so that's one of the things that they're doing to work on it. They're addressing all the things in that regard. You can get a, you can be less upset with, you know, a holding call on defensive back and, you know, pass interference where a guy's trying to make a play or offensive line is down, is 10 yards downfield and he gets a holding call or Michael Pittman. I, I think T Martin brought that one up where, uh, Stephen Carr had a, you know, a 20, 30 yard run and it gets called back to the line of scrimmage because Michael Pittman had a, uh, 10 yard penalty 10 yards down the field though yeah so it ends up being first and 10 again but because he got a penalty down the field because it's hard as a wide receiver because when you go and block someone you don't know where the running back is necessarily you know where the play is supposed to go and especially when you're running the zone schemes that they run there is a kind of allotted side that you're going to but you don't know exactly where that running back is so you're just trying to block the guy and you know sometimes if the running back makes a cut you know, you may end up grabbing a guy on accident. So those ones you can live with. Those you can be less upset about. Not having the right men on the field, or and then having to, you know, you know, uh, having guys not lined up correctly. Those type of things. Those ones you don't, you can't be happy about. Yeah, I had pactal rest slash penalty self discipline on Stockdown. I also had Stockdown on Toe Lobendon. Uh, his snapping has returned as an issue. Um, he worked on it this week. He even snapped after practice with Clay Helton catching the ball and, and holding it to where he snapped and then telling him, hey, this is what you need to do differently, stuff like that. I talked to Tolobanon this week. He said it's part mental, it's part technique. Um, but for it to be figured out in fall camp and then to reemerge at, uh, against Washington State, and you really saw it against Arizona, there started it, it looked like every other play. JT Daniels had to catch it off center. So it, it started, and, and T. Martin talked about this, about how when the play needs to develop at a certain speed, when JT has to take his eyes off the ball to, to or I, he can't read and he has to look at the ball, it, it, it doesn't help this offense, and this offense needs all of the help it can get. So I talk down. Yeah, so it doesn't have a huge impact, but it has an impact. If you have to, if your job is to read a read option play, your job is to read the end. But while you're doing that, you have to look down to catch the ball because it's a little bit lower and it's a little bit off center. And then you have to look back up to read the end. It's just that extra second that you're yeah. giving away uh, that is taking you to, to make that read. So you may immediately know, okay, well, I'm keeping it. Okay, I'm giving it away. But if you have to take your eyes off, now you go back. Now you now you see some. Maybe that's some of the times that you've seen where the handoffs have been kind of late and the, the running back's kind of reaching back for it. You saw one where uh, said where you know thought the ball had been fumbled uh, and, and went back on the play. Uh, but JT Daniels had kept it and basically ran right behind said where and you know said where would have known he could have made a block and it would have been a big gain. Uh, so you see those small things, and that's the thing with this offense. Like, there's so many times you're just like, oh, if they yeah. all, oh, if they, oh, if they, there's so many times where they're just that much away from where there's there's just a small, oh, if that guy would have got the block, or oh, if he would have blocked it to this, uh, and small things like that 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 are adding up to holding this offense back. And when you have third and one, and you're like, oh, if that guy would have made the block, then oh, he gets three yards instead. He gets stopped at the line of scrimmage. Well, that's huge because now you have to punt. But you don't see that necessarily in the first and 10 run when you get three yards instead of six because of the same thing. So you, people don't notice it as much. Uh, but that's happening a lot. And part of it is the snaps. Um, you know, you, you got to get that down. 
Part of it maybe was that they pulled Toa Lomondon more. You know, they were using him out in front blocking, and they had good success with that. On the fourth down play, he pulls out and destroys the guy that is the last guy that has a chance at Akasedric Ware, and Akasedric Ware walks in for the touchdown on the fourth and two. So those are the things that you're, you're, you're kind of debating. Like, do we want to get him out in front and, and block with him, or do we need to make sure the snap gets there perfectly on time? And did that have an impact? I don't know. But he did pull more in this game, so maybe that's why we saw it crop up at this point and the thing about to Lobendon is that coming into the season he had only three starts at center he I asked him he was like everything else I feel great doing it's just snapping that is having the issues he didn't snap in spring he was out in spring because of his knee injury he snapped a little bit in fall camp but that's when he had those issues he hasn't had a lot of experience snapping the ball so should they explore other options if he's having trouble doing the main thing that his position is supposed to do I don't know. What at what point does it hurt it enough where you think about that? I know Clay Helman asked about it. It's a it's a non starter, but at what point? I just feel like that's something that should have been addressed more previously. Like there's yeah. you can force a guy to snap for an hour straight if you need to or whatever it may be. Uh, and the fact that it popped back up is uh, worrisome, definitely. I've also got in stock down. I've got Greg Johnson. Now Greg yeah. Johnson did nothing in this game uh, poorly. He actually came in for seven plays and. Arizona gained exactly zero yards on that seven plays. So, uh, but he got demoted. So he was in the competition with Isaiah Langley at the cornerback spot opposite of Iman Marshall. They switched that up. Now Greg Johnson is backing up Iman Marshall, and Elijah Griffin is now in the competition with Isaiah Langley. But I want to give credit to Greg Johnson for the way he reacted to it. Didn't pout anything when he got thrown into the game. He he did his job, and like I said, Arizona gained zero yards in seven plays on the seven plays he was in there. Now, how much of that was his part? He just did his job, and that's what you got to do. Mm-hmm. And then a late addition. Uh, stock down, maybe the ultimate stock down, Bubba Bolden. Uh, USC's game notes came out this week or on Sunday, and it said he's no longer enrolled at USC. And that was something we've talked about a lot. How USC handles these these things. If it's a if Clay Helton can't comment on it on it, if it's a university issue, that's usually bad bad news for those players because once it's at that p- stage, they usually don't come back. But Bubba Bolden, I was a little bit uh, cautious just because, I mean, last week he was with the DBs, Ronnie Bradford, they went to dinner and he went with the DB group uh, to dinner. So I was like, hey, maybe this is not as bad as we think it is. Maybe there's a chance. But the fact that in the game notes, he's no longer enrolled at USC. Apparently on his social media, he's deleted every picture that involves USC. So I think an ultimate stock down for Bubba Bolden. Yeah, and he was, you know, recently he was posting social media posts that made it seem like he was nearing a return, and suddenly he erased all those, all the USC ones, and we find out on Sunday that he is no longer with the program. He's no longer enrolled in school. So uh, the USC safety position, if you were hoping it would get better, you know, it, it's, it just continues to thin more. So that's an area where now USC has to go recruit because you've lost two guys. Um, you know, Keely Ross is going to be gone out this year anyways, but uh, you lose um, Bubba Bolden there. That's an opportunity uh, missed out, and now you have to add somebody in. But you're getting a guy like Talanoa Hufunga who's getting thrown in there, and now he's got to you know got to play up to that. He's getting more opportunities, so it could be good for the position going forward. But you're gonna have to get some extra bodies in there as well. All right, well let's transition to hurt it on the sideline. What did you hear this week, Shotgun? One of them was was kind of uh, uh, gnarly. I'll, I'll give him the word gnarly. Oh. Uh, Raymond Scott describing his broken finger on the sideline. So he actually was blocking on a, I think a punt block uh, or a punt return and he said that 
he basically was trying to block the guy and his, his hand went into the face mask and the guy like shook his head and then he looked down at his hand and it did not look right. So that's how he broke his finger was he got, he got it stuck in a face mask actually. So heard that one and I was like, Oh, okay. Heard him telling one of his teammates like, yeah, this is what happened. And I was like, and he's like smiling about it while he's telling it while he's got his hand iced up and everything. But I was like, I don't think I'd be smiling about that. <laughs> yeah, that's gross. He actually came to pride. He wasn't dressed out during the bye week and he has a pretty big, cast situation trying to stabilize that broken finger i had heard it um this is something you heard too uh it was a player who came out of the lo- okay so i have to sit, set the scene a little bit arizona their whole locker room media situation is pretty weird so you it it's basically a tunnel to the field and a tunnel out to where everybody can walk uh outside of the stadium so basically the USC fans know this and they crowd basically on the outside of the, the tunnel where USC fans come out. And then you put the media and we're trying to like block the fans and like block the stream of players coming out so we can try and talk to them. And so it's really, really smushed. It's claustrophobic. And so I'm standing kind of uh, in between the players and the, the, the fans. And so a player comes out and is kind of waiting to shuffle out and he turns and, and, and talks to another player and he says man that was embarrassing and I look at shotgun and I'm like what (laughs) like and to the point where I was touching shoulders with the person he said this to so it wasn't like I was like "Ooh, let me snope around and see what these players are saying like I wasn't trying to overhear this it's just the nature of where we were and how close I was and so I was like that's not a good look when you're hearing that from the players but it was interesting to get a peek behind the curtain to see how they're actually digesting this loss because sometimes you hear guys say eh one is a win and it's whatever but it's kind of hearing their opinion was interesting in that sense yeah taking in the vibe of the players coming out of the locker room it was not you know they didn't feel like it was a big win you know they uh, obviously were feeling like they did not play up to their potential did not uh did not play as well as they could and did not end that game well. So they obviously they're happy that they got the win. Win is much better than a loss. Indeed. Always. Um, but they were not happy with the performance. And you could kind of feel that coming from the emotions coming out of the locker room. There wasn't a lot of a lot of smiles and high fives and stuff coming out, even though some of the players, parents and stuff were out there. It wasn't really happy to greet you type of thing when they got out. It was, okay, well, let's get on the bus and go home. Yeah. Uh, I Going into the locker room at the end of the game, Austin Jackson, thank you, defense. Thank you, defense. <laughs> he was screaming, thank you, defense, because they actually played a, a crucial part uh, in that game. I mean, they gave up the, what, 20 points in the second half. However, you look at that goal line stand, that goal line stand starts with three minutes and 30-something seconds left when they snap the ball in the first down play or when they when the ball is put into play on the first down play. They don't score until I think a minute and 24 or something, minute and 30s. I don't, I don't remember exactly what it was, but at least two minutes went off. If they score on the very first play, then they kick the onside kick. They, even if they don't get it, they don't get the onside kick. USC gets the ball. USC then has to get a first down. So USC's defense saved the offense from doing what it hadn't been able to do, you know, because they had an opportunity to get the first down, uh, you know, prior to that drive and they went for it on fourth down and didn't get it. So they saved the offense from having to perform. Uh, by stalling out the Arizona offense on the goal line, even though they did give up the touchdown, it took the it was eight snaps before they scored the touchdown. It started on the six yard line. The first play though got into the, to the one, so seven snaps from the one yard line took him to get in. Now a couple of those were penalties, uh, so they ended up getting first down there because of the pass interference. They had a couple of first down plays because of an offsides penalty, but seven snaps that they didn't get in because it wasn't like 
oh, there was a penalty called and they didn't run the play. All these plays were run and they didn't get in because Arizona would have been like, no, we don't need that penalty. We'll just take this uh, touchdown. Now that didn't happen. They didn't get in. So the defense did a big part there. And Austin Jackson, the offensive lineman, wanted to let them know uh, when they were going in the locker room, he was yelling, thank you, defense, to them. At what point do you just kick the field goal and try and get the ball back? You're on the one-yard line, though. Yeah. You should be able to get in. You, you feel like every play they're probably going like, all right, we're getting in this play. This time. <laughs> we're getting in this play. No, wait, okay, this, okay, that, okay, that. So that's what it ended up being for him. My final heard it was kind of funny. Uh, so I talked to Marvel Marvel Tell this week, and I happened to get a haircut and color my hair. It happens every like four months, and so Marvel Tell, I'm like kind of talking to him, and he goes, "Did you do something to your hair? Is it is it lighter? Are there highlights?" And I was like, "Yes, I did." And like no one else had really noticed at this point. Yeah, I did not notice at all. But I don't I know, notice those things. You know, you're not observing. I'm but also like, partially colorblind, so I have an excuse. True, but like my roommates didn't notice. Like the fact that Marvel <laughs> Tell. Just it, it made my week. It's like wow, someone's observant. So it was a fun hurt on the sideline. Well, obviously he has good hair too. It's true. Also behind the scenes moment, Shotgun just had a mental breakdown because apparently he's been watching the Braves game while we've been podcasting. Shame on you. Mm. Do you have anything else for hurt on the sideline? Yeah, I do. We're on this Braves game is awful. Uh, but <laughs> two, uh, something interesting that I saw on the sideline. So one it was both the same area, but. One, Neil Calloway was trying to get his offensive line together and talk to them after a drive, after a, you know, a drive didn't go well. Well, he couldn't do that because he only had three offensive linemen because he tried to yell for Austin. He's like, Austin, Austin, get in here, get in here. And John Baxter's like, no, he has to come talk to me about this punt that just happened. So, okay, now he's only got – so then he's like, well, Chuma, Chuma, come here. Like, Chuma's over, and Chuma's over having to get his hip stretched out, uh, which is why he would leave the game later. later. Um, so – like his two tackles are gone. Like Neil Calloway's trying to coach up his unit and only has his interior guys. So I was like, that's kind of interesting that when a unit that has been under a lot of you know a, a lot of a lot of scrutiny, not getting the job done fully, and he can't even get his all his guys together to be able to talk about things. Now also with the offensive line, a little bit later. Now I don't remember if this is the same drive or if this is the next drive, but Clay Helton after Neil Calloway had talked to the offensive line, Clay Helton comes over and actually sat down in the middle of the offensive line. And started going over things and talking about how they need to run the game, so it, run the ball. So it was interesting that he came and actually sat down with the offensive line. I think that's the first time I've seen that. I know he's, you know, he's, he'll talk to individuals and stuff, but he actually sat down in the chair that Neil Calloway normally sits in uh, and went over, you know, the the schemes or whatever it may be uh, in that regard to to try to get uh, get the offensive game, the offensive run game going. Do you think the offensive line is coach enough in game? I mean, they do a lot uh, of talking back and forth, discussing stuff. So I, I think that they're, you know, they do a, a decent job of at least trying to uh, teach things up and, you know, attack what the defense is doing. Uh, the question is how much, how much adjustments are they doing and how much are those being correctly done by the offense line? It, and it, it becomes, is it the coaching not giving them adjustments or is it the players not being able to adjust in game? Because you see, like the Washington State game, first drive, man, just run it right down the throat. What do they do the next, I don't know, six, seven drives on the ground? Pretty much nothing. And Austin Jackson, after that game, I asked him, and he said, yeah, we know that teams are going to go over to the sideline. They're going to write it up, and they're going to adjust. We have to adjust to them. Uh, so you wonder where the responsibility lies there, or is it a combo effort? I'm sure it probably is a little bit of both. All right, well, that's all we have for Heard It on the Sideline this week. Let's transition to a special segment. Since it is bye week, you know, we had to create some some new stuff. Bye week best. We'll be going through what was the best so far before the bye week. Best 
position group so far? Best position group so far has actually been the place kickers. What? Look at it. Chase McGrath was good. You know, he hit the really good one for uh, like 40, what, 52 yards against UNLV. Had him up early. Uh, Michael Brown has been really good since he's had to fill in for Chase McGrath. Alex Stadhouse has been really good on kickoffs. So technically, the best position group has been the place kickers. They missed one field goal. That's it. I feel like that's such a cop out. It's true, though. Of their, what their job is versus what they've done. But the proportion of how much they Doesn't play. Matter. It does matter. Doesn't matter. Consistency over. Fine. I'll give you a second one. Though place kickers is the right answer. Is linebackers. It's mm, been the okay. linebackers. So you got Cam Smith. He's a rock in the middle of their defense. John Houston has been good. Not great. You've had guys mixing in. When Port Augustine has been healthy, has been the difference in that defense. You look at USC's defense. Been really good. Except those three halves that Port Augustine has missed. So he missed part almost all of the second half of the Texas game, and that game turns to a blowout. He missed the first half of that Washington State game. They scored like four million points in the first half. And then you he missed most of the second half of that Arizona game. He missed he basically missed the end of the third quarter and all the fourth quarter. Well, they scored what, thirteen points in the fourth quarter, I think it was. Uh, so, you know, they scored zero points in the first half when he was fully, you know, going full strength. So that's been the difference there. So he's been a real difference maker on the edge. And then I think the young guys are coming along a little bit too. So I'm going to go with linebackers. I think that's a good call. I was thinking that. I also thought you would say that. So I tried to vary up the... I said place kickers. So you didn't know what I was going to say. Okay, that was the curveball. I said the running backs. But I don't know. The, The high octave is because I'm not sure on my own take here. But I think... I I just wonder what this position group would be if the O-line performed better. I think that they've done a good job given the O-line that they have. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. I would say running backs. That's a pretty good assessment there. I mean, they've done a really good job of breaking tackles. And I mean, said where it was really good in that UNLV game of yards after contact. Vise had some really nice runs where it looks like he's tackled for a two-yard gain. He turns it into eight or ten or whatever it was. I mean, what was it, third and ten? They checked the ball down to him. He gets hit at the you know with a one yard game maybe he turns it into a nine yard game breaking like forty hundred tackles I don't even know how many that could be the hyperboles in yeah, this segment <laughs> I mean we broke it down on the tape I think it was like six guys that had an opportunity yeah, six, to tackle seven. him so you know if you anytime you make at least half the defense miss on a play you're doing really well yeah, and he set up a fourth and two you know it would have been a fourth and ten they probably what kick a field goal or. We already established this on our podcast. I know, but I'm, I'm like, where where are they at in the field position? I don't remember exactly. It ended up being a. It, it was like a around thirty-two the yard, yard TD yeah. run, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, so yeah. it would have been you know at eight yards, so it's a forty. That's a fifty-seven yarder. So they're punting the ball there. USC's punting the ball yeah. instead. They run it in for a touchdown. So that's huge right there. Uh, so they've been good. Seventy-one percent of USC's touchdowns have come by running backs. Seventy percent of, of them have come from Vi then. Because he's been the the workhorse in the backfield when it comes to goal line situation. He just is bursting his way through the offensive line. It's true. Uh, Moving on, best offensive player. I'm on Ross St. Brown. (laughs) I had it too, which is crazy. What does this say about this offense that a true freshman is the best? You know, they're, they're, you, they aren't, he's not in there all the time. 
So when he goes in there, he's become a focal point of the offense for both USC and the defense. Defenses are keying on him when he's in there, putting extra safety help over the top, those type of things, which tells you that he's being really respected by defenses already. Um, And because of his connection with JT Daniels, that's a big part of it, obviously. If Matt Fink was was the starting quarterback rather than JT Daniels, don't think you would be saying the same things about Amon Ross St. Brown. But he does all the little things. I just love the way he adjusted the ball in the air, the way he can give a little bit of a – you know, a push with his forearm and not get called for uh, calls where other guys aren't getting, you know, he may be guarded well, but he knows how to create that little bit of separation that's needed for him to be get his hands up and, and make a catch. And he does a really good job of corralling the ball when in midair. You know, he doesn't always catch it clean with his hands, but he knows how to, you know, pin it against his chest or whatever it may be. You don't see the ball popping away from him like you do with some other receivers. So uh, I think he's been really good. And, you know, he's a, a dynamic weapon for him because they can use him on the inside and outside. And and when they finally get fully the full chemistry between JT Daniels and the, the two veteran receivers on the outside, I think the offense will take off and, you know, take another step. And again, if, if you can protect him with the offensive line a little bit longer, that gives more weapons and opportunity because JT is, is still learning to, to make his way from his first read to his second read to his third read to his fourth read. And, you know, a lot of times he hasn't had the time to go to number two or number three. It's been, okay, look for one read and then, all right, we might need to get out of the pocket because things are coming, collapsing pretty quickly at times. Yeah, it seems like the key here is offensive line play. We'll see how that goes. We said best, not key. (laughs) (laughs) True. Uh, But, yeah, Almond Ross St. Brown leads the wide receivers in receiving yards. So, true freshman. Not bad for true freshman. Not bad. Now, granted, he's still playing only, I think the number was um, around 30 plays per game, 30 snaps. Uh He's playing anywhere from 29 to 42 snaps this season. So most of the times he's been between 34 and 36. He's been there for three games. He's been an outlier one way or the other, the other two games. But mo- around 35 plays per game. The word I love using for him is just professional. He just has a professional feel to it where he's going to get his stuff done. I mean, his best play of the year might be the fact that he recovered that fumble out of the targeting penalty. Because if I got hit like that, I'm just curling up into a ball and going away for for a week or two. Not only did he get targeted, they like kicked his head when they got up. It was a dirty play from my point of view, like perspective on the field. And I was like, how was this not a targeting call off the bat? We don't have to. And yet he had the wherewithal to grab the ball and hold on to it. And so that shows you, you know, he that mindset that he has. He is just locked in at all times. You can see it in his eyes when he's on the field. Yeah, you know, it's he's got that burning intensity in his eyes that you don't necessarily see from the entire team. That you know might be something that that, that USC is missing from this group. Burning intensity. Burning in intensity. Wow, you got that fire in his eyes. Sounds like a novel. Uh, best defensive player. Is, is there an answer other than Cam Smith? No, because I didn't. I didn't have anyone else besides Cam Smith. Well, I mean, if you're, I'll give you Cam Smith. You take Cam Smith. I'll take Porter Gustin because of his impact when he's been on the field. I also mold over Marvell Tell, given how much he has had to adjust to having basically a new safety counterpart week by week. Mm-hmm. I think that's hard to do. Hard to get into a rhythm. So he, I feel like he gets honorable mention. Um, but Porter Gustin, take it. Yeah, Porter Gustin. The fact that he, I think he has five and a half sacks. To lead the team, and he's he's missed pretty much three halves of the you know of their five games so far. So he's missed almost twenty uh, percent. I would guess somewhere around there. Can't do the math off the top of my head this late at night. Uh, so you know he's done a really good job uh, of being the guy that gets the pass rush when he's in. They they have some pass rush, and this defense is different when they have a pass rush threat there. And I think the young guys are coming along behind him, but you know they need him in there. They need him healthy. They need him you know causing disruption up front. 
I tried to do this by who is going to have you'll fear feel his presence gone next season as far as veteran. Cam Smith, that's a guy that when he's gone, USC is gonna have to do a lot to make up for him. He has forty seven tackles. Thirty seven of those are solo. Uh, he's just, like you said, a bajillion tackles, a tackle machine. He's the leader of the defense, captain of the team. He just has a presence and a play that is going to be hard to replace next year. And he's obviously been one of the best performers. And obviously he he, he slimmed down. You know, yeah. He changed his body to try to get in better shape. You see him being able to get to sideline to sideline better. He's pretty much, it just seems like he's always in the right position. You know, he, he's able to sniff out uh, offensive plays. He knows how to make tackles. He doesn't miss a lot of tackles for as many uh, plays as he's in. You know, that's a really key thing because, you know, he brings guys down when he has an opportunity. Yeah, he's that guy who's reliable. You know, if he's there, he's going to get that tackle or he's going to make that play. Speaking of play, best play of so far. The best play so far this season has been was Michael Pittman's beast mode touchdown because USC is trailing to Washington State, and they had no momentum at all. It was the first time this season they were able to change the tide of the momentum. They were able to turn around something, you know, and it took a, an individual effort. You know, he made a guy miss on the outside, and then he put a stiff arm on a guy. He runs through a last-gas tackle attempt and gets it to the end zone for a, what, 50-something yard touchdown. Uh, they kind of changed the tide of, of potentially the season if the offensive line comes around because of the fact that if they lose that game, then they might lose at Arizona too because you know just the way this team has not been able to recover from you know momentum swings this season and they had had nothing going right for them um, so that would have been you know, three straight losses it would have been uh, dire straits for this team so I, I think that that play potentially changes the outcome of the season we'll see how it how it plays out it may end up not mattering this team may not be able to get out of their their own shell uh, and, and may just get crushed who knows but. At this point, that's the best play because of, of the impact it had there. Interesting. So you looked at a, a broad perspective. Uh, yeah. I looked at like a pretty perspective. Ooh. <laughs> I said the JT Daniels to Tyler Vaughn's two-point conversion against Washington <laughs> State. That was a pretty play. I mean, JT rolls out, slips the ball through three defenders. Tyler Vaughn's able to get the foot down. It was a nice play. I thought it was pretty. Got yeah, and, and I mean, that's a throw you can make on a two-point conversion because it's, you know, it's it's boomer bust there. You're just going for it all. Uh, a dangerous throw, obviously. That's not a throw you would want to make on first and goal from the no, one yard line. Or not anything. at all. Uh, but he he threads the needle there just over the outstretched hands of several defenders and gets it. And I figured you were going to go the Tufele field goal block because that actually sealed the game for them against Washington State. But since you didn't, we should we should put that as honorable mention. Yeah, that's a good. I was going to give that one to you. That's why I went with Pittman beast mode. But I just figured I figured I knew you enough that you would take that, but you didn't. Turns out you Didn't don't know take me. The bait. You don't know me. <laughs> it's probably better for the better. <laughs> <laughs> Finally, best win so far of the season. Well, Washington State. I mean, is there any other possibility? Well, mine was I refuse. I refuse to name a best win. I don't think there's any caliber so far that has been like, wow, all three phases were so great. Wow. You picked a category to say that you refuse. <laughs> you listed the categories and then chose to say, I don't I don't want to pick one. Because I listed it out, put more thought into it. And I was like, you know what? I'll throw shock on a curveball. So, yeah. But also, it's indicative of this season. There hasn't been a complete, like, UNLV wasn't even a good game. That was field goal palooza. Has they had a really good game the last two years? Um, Arizona State, that's it. And they still yeah. gave up a Hail Mary touchdown at the end of that half, so that's, <laughs> that should discredit it altogether. Well, that's the question I asked Dan after the Arizona game. Has USC blown out a team? 
Hmm, blown out. <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> Which is why you don't see you don't see the development of player younger players getting opportunities to play in games, getting that game experience, getting that game tape, get to learn from that. You don't necessarily see that all. So I mean, it, so the answer is still Washington State. Yeah. Washington State's five and one now, four and one. What are they? they Gardner Minshew is like tearing up anybody's defense. Throwing for four hundred yards every game. Talano's first start. Who yeah, Talano's first start. Like it's Washington State. That's a hard thing. And they did a did a nice job of not letting them get any. Well, they gave up maybe two deep plays, but they didn't turn into touchdowns. They made the tackles. Uh, Talano had one of those. You know, saved a potential touchdown that would have gave them the lead. Instead, USC is able to come out with the victory with the beast mode touchdown and the block field goal. And JT established connection with wide receivers named not named almond not same yeah and we'll see how that develops you know they didn't really throw the ball a lot against arizona we'll see how that develops in the next couple of games if that it proves to be kind of a turning point in that relationship between uh quarterback and receivers yeah i'm very curious i'm very curious how this team practices for colorado how that's gonna work um they'll, they'll probably do exactly the same what the, they've been know, doing just, yeah unfortunately why can't i just have hope you can hope for anything hope you want is all we have shotguns that's not true <laughs> okay Question time. Just getting with poured pork on us. So that's not the whole event. <laughs> okay, whatever. Delicious. Mr. Six Pounds. Um, I, Ryan asked this question in his little uh, column after Arizona, and it's stuck with me ever since. At what point is saying a win, a win is a win not good enough? Last season, I thought, okay, this team seems to just kind of get it together by the end and get through and have a win. But now I feel like a mark of a Clay Helton team is maybe not having, it's not about the quality of a win. It's just walking out with a win. I, I told you before that, you know, they find a way to win. That's what they do. They find a way to win. They make it interesting almost every game. But the question becomes, is that the team that this is going to be under? Is that the coach that Clay Helton is? He'll beat the teams he's supposed to beat. Might be close. Might never blow out teams that you should, you should blow out. But then when you're playing teams that, you know, are you playing up to the competition they haven't really done that the last couple of times. Now, they did it against Washington a couple of years ago. Uh, they did it in the Penn State game, great games. Uh, but they have not done that the last couple of times. So then it become, that becomes the question. Is that the trend with Clay Elton? That, yeah, we can beat teams that we're supposed to beat, but we, do, we don't beat anybody that we're not supposed to beat. And that's why you're in this predicament where if you look at Clay Helton's record or his, his resume, you go, why would you fire this coach? Look at what he's done. But when you actually sit and watch the game's fourth first quarter to fourth you're like it wasn't a pretty win but it's a win so at what point do you just take the win or versus quality of win so are we looking at the rpi we're looking at the eye test now we're into march madness here <laughs> you know the ncaa just tweaked the rpi so maybe that's when you start looking at different factors with clay helton versus just looking at the eye test uh you know it, that's kind of what it comes down to is you, you can look at the resume but I can look at a resume and it says that the qualified applicant is Harvard degree and has all these other things. But then you look at the guy and he comes in and it looks like a slob and, you know, is misfitting everything. And Where's you go, the backwards hat? Whoa, whoa, whoa. Don't talk about the backwards hat. That's perfectly fine. <laughs> okay. I'm talking about misfitting shoes. He's got a clown shoe on one foot. I mean, you're like, okay, Typical. I don't know if that's the guy we really want for this position. So uh, it, it, you look at two different things. They have to come together into one. And right now, I think the eye test is holding a little bit stronger weight at this point, but that can always change because... So the eye test meaning... The eye test looking at the way they play right now. This is not pretty. Yeah. Okay. I thought you meant that that saves Helton, and I was like, I don't... No, no. I, I think the resume right now has is... That's what he's resting on right yeah. now. That's what you, he's resting his laurels on that. You know, if anyone asks, like, how has Clay Helton done at USC? He's going to point out this. 
If you ask anybody that, you know, on the P who wants to fire him, they will look at what we played now. You have to kind of put those together and figure out exactly what it is. And I think it'll take the rest of the season before we really know. I don't think Clay Helton's not getting fired during the season. No. That's the one thing that won't happen. Barring something apocalyptic. Dramatic. Yeah. So uh it's not there's not gonna be a Sarkeesian situation as far as in season firing. Or a Kiffin. <laughs> or a Kiffin. Uh he's not gonna be tarmacked, I don't think. So uh he's gonna get his opportunity to prove himself the rest of the season. Now he still has to do that. And if you win every game, a win is a win is good enough. But if you start you lose to teams you're not supposed to lose to, then it becomes much more of an issue. True. Much more of a concern. A concern. Uh, speaking of concern, I'm concerned that we haven't gotten a lot of questions, more from spammers than other people. So we will be filming our Colorado or recording our Colorado podcast soon. If you want to get your questions in, we'll have a whole segment dedicated to your questions. So be sure to get those in. Familyfeudpod at gmail.com. We final? like the interaction, guys. Come and join us. We do. Uh, any final thoughts, Shotgun? I'm curious to see how they bounce back this week. You know, they were not happy with, with the way things worked, uh, you know, how things turned out in that second half of the Arizona game. And you didn't really see any, there was no noticeable difference in them during the bye week. They rested a bunch of guys and maybe they come out fresh and, you know, ready to go on Tuesday when we go to practice. So we'll see, you know, how that happens and how they come out against Colorado because Colorado's 5-0. and You know, this is a team that's, you know, coming in undefeated. Ranked in the top 20. USC still is a seven-point favorite. Opened as a seven-point favorite. So, you know, for all the stuff that people have said about, you know, this team leading up to this game, we'll see how they actually perform. And Vegas actually thinks that they're a seven-point favorite here. Did USC's kind of breakdown against Arizona change anything in your mind about Clay Hilton or how the season could go? Um. I mean, it shows you that there's the, the mentality of the team. They don't have that killer instinct. It doesn't seem. It doesn't seem like they have the players that are ready, that are willing to or to rally around the rest of the team to rally around to do that. I mean, I feel like a guy like Amon Ross St. Brown, if he has a chance to, you know, if you're playing darts with Amon Ross, he's not he's not waiting for you to come back in the game. He's putting you away. Whatever the whatever the game was. I don't know the first game I came up with. I was gonna say cornhole, but. I don't know. Yeah. I was I played cornhole last night. I was really I was really good. Yeah. So Amon Ra's not laying up and putting uh, putting bags on the board. He's going for for the hole. He's shooting straight to the straight shot. Okay. Yeah. He's got killer instinct. He's not waiting around for you to to you to get lucky and make a shot. He's going for it. So, but I don't know that there is enough players on this team to rally around for the rest of the team to do that. I don't feel like the team has that mentality. Well, even though a couple of the players may. Agreed. Completely agree. All right. That's going to wrap it up for this edition of the Family Feud Podcast. As always, thanks for listening, and we will see you guys in a couple days. We're going to be back. (laughs) It's true. We'll see you soon. Peace.